Welcome to the Tell Us Something Podcast. I'm Mark Moss. This week on the podcast, Jim Byer and I chat about his story, Mission from God, which he told live on stage at the Top Hat Lounge in Missoula, Montana, in March 2012. And we reached the top of this, uh, this old abandoned farmhouse. Well, the windows are all busted out, and there's birds or bats or something flying in and out of it. And, and it's getting dark. I mean, it is flat dark. There were stars, and there was the full moon. He says, oh, it's in the barn. Okay, cool. Well, the barn is kind of leaning over at about 30-degree angle like this. Looks like it's going to fall down any time. The theme that night was rites of passage. We also talk about motorcycles, wrecks, and helping others out during the moving process. And so the front end stopped abruptly, and I fell over and uh, wrecked my other knee. Thank you for joining me as I take you behind the scenes at Tell Us Something to meet the storytellers behind the stories. In each episode, I sit down with a Tell Us Something Storyteller alumni. We chat about what they've been up to lately and about their experience sharing their story live on stage. Sometimes we get extra details about their story, and we always get to know them a little better. I am so excited to tell you that the next in-person Tell Us Something storytelling event will be March 30th at the WOMA. The theme is Stone Soup. Seven storytellers will share their true personal story without notes on the theme Stone Soup. We are running at 75% capacity, which allows for listeners to really spread out at the WOMA. Learn more and get your tickets at logjampresents.com. On a mission to buy an Indian sidecar during the Sturgis bike rally, Jim Byer borrows Greg's truck to go pick up the sidecar. He is followed several times along the way by police officers. Jim's story is called A Mission from God. Thanks for listening. A quick warning for sensitive listeners, Jim's story contains depictions of drug use. I rode into camp. Um, uh, we were staying in, in Sturgis. Um, and my friends were all standing around thinking about what to have for dinner. It was uh, Greg and Star and uh, Harlem, Harlan and um, Pigger. And I came roaring into camp, jumped off my bike, and told him, I just found an Indian motorcycle, I mean, an Indian sidecar to buy. Um, Indian sidecars are incredibly beautiful and rare items. And I was so lucky to have found this one because the other 74,999 bikers in Sturgis had not gotten it before me. <laughs> so they're all congratulating me on this. And uh, I say, but I'm kind of bummed because I have no way to get it back to Montana. Well, Greg says, oh, no problem, man. Just throw it in the back of my pickup truck, and you can pick it up in Virginia City when we get back in a week. I said, cool, that's great. But I still have another problem, and that is I have to go pick this thing up, and I don't have any way except for my motorcycle. And, they, and uh, so Greg says, oh, no problem, man. Here's the keys to my pickup truck. Throws them to me. Well, I immediately grab them because I'm excited, and I go running back to the... Uh, Go running back to his pickup truck. It's an old beater, shitty uh, Chevy pickup, about 20 years old, <laughs> from Virginia City. And uh, so I jump in and I drive away. Well, unfortunately, I'm driving through Sturgis traffic during bike week, which is 75,000 people trying to get downtown all at the same time. So I'm really frustrated. And I don't notice the fact that Sturgis, Highway, or Sturgis City policeman has just pulled in behind me. So I'm driving along very carefully and uh, thinking, well, I wonder if this truck has got taillights. So anyway, the problem was solved when the cop flips his lights on. Oh, God damn it. 
So I'm pulling over for the curb. Well, anyway, the cop pulls to the left and goes racing right past me and pulls over some poor guy on a Jap bike. Yeah. I drive through Sturgis traffic again, 30 minutes to get from one side of a town that's as big as Hamilton to the other. Get on the freeway. Driving down the freeway, man, I got my foot to the floor. I'm just driving as fast as I can go, which is about 50 miles an hour. And uh, then I realize, you know, bikes are going by me. Vroom, 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 about twice as fast as I am. Well, I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and a state patrol pulls it up right behind me. And he didn't realize I was going so slow until he almost hit my bumper. This kind of pissed him off. So I, I'm looking back there, trying to drive carefully, and uh, looking at the rearview mirror, and there he is, got his hand on the radio, talking into it, you know, just like running my plates and stuff. And I'm going, what is with this truck? Jesus, you know, don't they have farm trucks in South Dakota? <laughs> well, I didn't really find the answer to that. When he flips his lights on, I'm going, oh, Jesus. And I start to turn into the... Onto the, barrel pit, onto the barrel pit. Well, just as I'm doing that, some guy on a chopper races by at about 90 miles an hour. Blue lights and everything, he didn't care. Well, the cop realizes he's got a live one. <laughs> so he turns left and goes and chases him. Run, runs down the road. So I come up a few minutes later, and there's the cop writing the ticket, and the guy, biker, holding his license out, and I wave. <laughs> so... Anyway, I pull off in Spearfish, drive up Main Street, pull into this little motorcycle shop where they have the Indian sidecar. The, uh, go in and talk to the lady behind the counter. She says, well, my husband is, like, has to work until you know, he gets his customer's bike done. It'll be a couple of minutes. And I said, ah, that's cool. Um, so I start talking to her. She's saying how um, it was their dream to have this motorcycle shop in the Black Hills but it just wasn't working out for them. They weren't making any money. So they were going to close the shop and move back to Phoenix so they could be closer to her, her family and, the, you know, and their church. I'm going, yeah, cool. So a couple minutes later, this clean-cut-looking guy, younger than me, comes walking out, wiping his hands, and says, hi, my name's Bob. And I said, oh, I'm Peeper. You know, it's nice to meet you. And uh, he says, well, the sidecar's uh, you know, a little ways out of town. Can we take your truck? Sure, hop in. It's all warmed up. So we're, he gives me directions, says uh, go north on Highway 85. So we find the way to Highway 85, and then all of a sudden he looks over at me and says, have you been saved? What? <laughs> says, is Jesus your personal Savior? Uh, well, uh, no. So for the next 15 minutes, he's giving me this big, long lecture about you know how Jesus has saved him from the road to sin and perdition and, you know, how it turns his life around and all that stuff. So I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to tell him I was an unreconstructed pagan because I didn't want that much inner, you know, uh, conversation going on. I was happy to hear the lecture. So so he says, oh, that road up ahead, just turn right up there. So I'm driving up this gravel road, heading up towards the mountains. And... Uh, then he says, oh, that gate over there, just, uh, just turn right into that gate. So, okay. Stop. He jumps out, opens the gate. We drive through. He says, um, it's up the hill. So I look way up the hill. 
And way on, up on the tree line is this old battered uh, homestead. I go, okay. So I put the truck into low, and we grind up this two-lane or two-track road that hadn't been traveled on for a decade or two. And we reached to the top of this, uh, this old abandoned farmhouse. Well, the windows are all busted out, and there's birds or bats or something flying in and out of it. And, and it's getting dark. I mean, it is flat dark. There were stars, and there was the full moon. He says, oh, it's in the barn. Okay, cool. Well, the barn is kind of leaning over at about 30-degree angle like this. <laughs> Looks like it's going to fall down any time. Um, this is going to go over, by the way. So I'm only halfway done. Um, I'll, I'll try to talk faster now. So, so we go in, into the barn. He pulls the door open. Sounds like the first 15 seconds of Tales of the Crypt, right? We go inside. It's plumb dark. I mean, it is flat dark. Can't see anything. He pulls a little pen light out, turns it on. There's this little light about this long. And he starts looking around. And all I can see is the, uh, the moonbeams coming through the broken boards on this barn. And I'm walking around on this dry, desiccated husks of dead things that I don't know what are. And it's really kind of creepy in here. So he says, it's over here. And he points the pen light to the ground. And I look. Wow, treasure. It's an Indian, 1940 Indian sidecar body. And if you've ever seen an Indian sidecar, it looks like a boat in an amusement ride. I mean, it's about this long. And it's just beautifully shaped, well, boat. And <laughs> along with this is a frame. It's a round tubular frame. So I'm leaning down. I grab the pen light, and I'm down on my knees looking at this thing. And I look, and I look, and I realize that there's a nice frame, but somebody's taken the sidecar, this six-foot-long thing, and cut it in half right behind the cowling and sort of crushed the front of it. And I'm going, God, damn, what maniac would butcher an Indian sidecar? And then all of a sudden, felt this shiver shoot up my back. I realized I'm 15 miles from civilization, up a dirt road, in an abandoned barn with a Jesus freak. And as... Is this one of those happy uh, Godspell Jesus freaks or one of those Jim Jones Jesus freaks? <laughs> and so I'm starting to really shake. And, and I hear behind me, well, what do you think? And I jump up. I'm just scared to death. And he says, well, what do you think? You want to buy it? So all of a sudden, any thought of mutilation has turned to negotiation. I go, well, you know, it's kind of cool, but, um, you know, they really screwed up that body. The frame's good. I mean. Uh, yeah, I'd kind of interested. Well, he wanted 400 bucks for this, which was a fair amount of money back in 1986. So being an old Arab rug, rug merchant, I started to negotiate. And I said, well, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll lowball it, and then he'll come down, and I'll go up, and he'll come down, and I'll go up, and eventually we'll meet in the middle someplace. So I said, you know, well, I'll give you 150 bucks for it. And he goes, okay. <laughs> yes! And I have just scored big. I'm just so elated. You know, I don't give a shit about dead things on the ground or cobwebs or any of the rest of that. So he says, I'll help you load it. Uh, cool. So we carry it all outside. We'd start driving back to Spearfish. And I'm just talking a mile a minute and how wonderful this is and what a great deal and, and how happy I am and I love motorcycles and I'm going to restore this sidecar and I'm going to have to buy an Indian to put on the sidecar, but that's okay. <laughs> 
So uh, he's happy to just get the money and get out because he realized that he had just cut his own throat, which is probably why he wasn't very good in the motorcycle business. So now I am really happy. I mean, driving back to Sturgis, driving down the freeway at 55 miles an hour, black smoke billowing out of the back of the pickup truck. And I'm thinking, I'm on a mission from God, and nothing can stop me here. <laughs> I get off the, the, uh, the freeway ramp at East End of Sturgis. I'm only half a mile from the campground. And uh, I'm thinking, this is great, man. Then a uh, Meade County Sheriff's car comes racing down the ramp and slams on his brakes right behind me. And I'm, oh, shit. So I look both ways, twice, and I turn on my blinker. I start to turn left, and all of a sudden the lights go on. Fuck. You know, my, it just ruined my high. I mean, it's like, I, I mean, after being diagnosed bipolar, I mean, it's like up and down, up and down, up and down. I'm, and I'm not even home yet. So I'm just slumped in the seat, and he races by me and pulls over some other poor sap, you know. <laughs> yes! So I'm just, you know, I made, I made the big score here. So I race back into camp. I want to show all my friends this fabulous piece of antique motorcycle history that I've purchased. So I roll into camp right up to the fire. There's about 50 people standing around drinking beer and talking and yelling and screaming and loud music and all this stuff. Park the truck, and I'm just getting out when this bleach blonde silicone titted bimbo comes running up, grabs me and throws me out of the out of the way of the door and reaches in to the truck cab, takes her fist and pops the uh, jockey box lid. It flops open and out falls a Ziploc bag with four fingers of cocaine in it. I am going oh shit. And she grabs it and runs back to the camp, you know, and, and like all of her friends go with her. And I'm like, oh, oh, I'm starting to, to howl like a whipped puppy, you know. Well, anyway, Pigger comes walking over. No, sorry, Star comes walking over. Says, oh, cool, Beeper. That's a nice score. Here, have a beer. I said, thanks. I needed that. Well, Pigger comes walking over. He's a pretty laid-back guy. Kind of reaches into the cab, into the jockey box, pulls out a nickel-plated Colt 45 automatic. It's about this big, right? And the numbers have been ground off. And he just puts it in his back pocket and kind of walks away. I'm going, holy fuck. Well, and then Harlan comes over, and he goes, I wondered where I left that. And he reaches under the seat of the truck, pulls out a grocery sack of marijuana. I'm, I'm sitting on the edge of the truck going, oh, good crap. When Greg comes over, he says, you know, um, you, you tore out a camp so fast that we couldn't get a whole, you know, couldn't, like, clean up. Did everything work out okay? I'm going, yeah, I, th I, think, I think God's on my side tonight. 
So he looked at the sidecar. Ah, cool score. You know? And so he says, here, have another beer. Okay. <laughs> so after drinking many beers that night, I told the story. And my last words about that story were, honest, Your Honor, I just stole the truck. I didn't know what was in it. <laughs> well, I figured that my fun ticket had been punched. So I packed all my shit and got out of there that very, the very morning, that very next morning. And uh, it was a 16-hour ride back to Montana, very carefully, looking in the rearview mirror a lot. And I had time to think. And I realized that I was no longer young. That was the first day that I had matured. So, thank you much. Jim Beyer has been a lifelong motorcycle enthusiast since buying his first Harley-Davidson in 1972, which he still has and rides occasionally. Jim attended his first Sturgis bike rally in 1977 and has ridden his bike to Sturgis, South Dakota about a dozen times in the following quarter century. He has not been back since 2003. I caught up with Jim in August of 2020. Hey Jim, how's it going? How are you doing well? How are you? All right. Sorry, I missed you. When you called back, I was getting a quick breakfast. Yes. Well, it's uh, advisable at this time of the morning, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm sorry I wasn't uh, here when you called at uh, 9.30, so. It's all good. Yep. I thought maybe you are on your way to Sturgis. Oh, uh, uh, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to let the stupid people um, catch, catch diseases and die, but. I hope not to be one of them. Of course, I can't that believe be that it. I can't believe it's happening. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I've known a lot of my. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I, I've I've had a lot of my biker friends die from their lifestyle, so um, this is not surprising. Uh, yeah. So, you are one of the most prolific tell us something storytellers we have. Did you know that? Oh, I did not. I thought maybe uh, our congressman was, but uh, yeah, Pat Williams. Um, yeah, yeah, Pat. Yeah, I think he's up there, and same with Gonzo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, well, anyway, I'm honored. Told, yeah, you told one, two, three stories uh, on official tell us somethings. And then one mm -hmm. story story jam, which I had forgotten about. Yeah. Was there a story that stuck out for you of those? Um, probably the first one because Adventure. I had practiced it. The, the um, the hell was it? Oh, it was the Sturgis Adventure. Yes. Mission from God. Mission from God. Yeah. Yeah. Because I I practiced that for a week. While driving around Montana, I just tell it to myself over and over and over again so that it would be um, shortened and, uh, yeah, nearer, nearer to perfect. So, um, And that was back in 2012. Rites of Passage was the scene. Um, did any of the players in that story, have they heard it since you told it? Do you know? Uh no, I don't believe anyone has, because most of them are dead. Ah. Uh. 
But anyway, at one point, mm-hmm. at one point you said uh, I used to be cool. Now I'm cliche, and I guess the right. the comeback is at least you're not dead. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> so you're quite the storyteller. How did you come to fall in love with this art form? Uh, well, I come from a storytelling family. My father is quite the raconteur as well. Or, um, and uh, he, of course, had uh, plenty of adventures in his life to talk about. So, uh, so I guess that's you know just sitting around the family table, or the the um, you know um, at parties or something. Sure, we, we would do that. Is there? Um, yeah. Before tell us something. Had you ever told a story on a stage like that before? No. No, it's no, around the campfire. Yeah. But Someday fortunately, I... with tell us something, uh, tell us something, people were listening more attentively. Probably a lot less drunk, too. Yeah. Yeah, less rambling. Yeah. Have you gone back and listened to it uh, since you told it? The... the uh, I have, from God no, I have not. No, I have not. Uh, My intention was to go back and listen to all of them before I talked to you, but I didn't get there. Yeah, that's a big job. Yeah. But it's been fun. Uh, Is there anything about that story? You said you had to shorten it. Um, What are some of the things that you had to cut? Do you remember? Well, uh, a, a bit of description, I suppose. Um, the preamble to it, how I happened to find the guy who had the sidecar. Um, that was a story into itself because I ended up partying with a Hell's Angel in a in a motel room in uh, Belfouche, and he had a six-foot-tall bottle of laughing gas that he uh, liberally uh, dosed me with. So, um, so anyway, I managed to um, escape that uh that little event uh, with my skin, so it was a yeah, it was a full day of, of uh, um, adventures, I suppose. Not to mention being high on laughing gas and then riding up the uh, highway uh, 14 to um, Deadwood in heavy traffic, you know, things like that. So yeah, what you do when you're day stoned? In, yeah, I was gonna say day in the life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, adventures in Sturgis that I don't do anymore. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. What was the last time you said you were there? It was 2003, I think, right? Well, no, actually, I went back for the 75th uh, five years ago, but uh, it was much less adventuresome because we went a week early to avoid the crowds, uh, and we stayed in the motel room, my friend Dan and I. So, yeah, went to Sturgis so- for an afternoon. I was going to say, it's like sort of going to Burning Man uh, two weeks early and avoiding the crowds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But all the vendors were still there, and I could still buy a T-shirt. So, yeah, to, to prove to prove that I'd done it. Couldn't you buy one of those online? Uh, yes, but uh, mm-hmm. you you understand. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. It, That's, yeah. What's funny yeah, is I see these people... Go ahead. 
If you didn't go, why buy the shirt? Just say that you went. Mm-hmm. I see these people with their bikes on flatbed trucks or, you know, in in U-Haul trailers, and they're, you know, never been dropped, not a scratch on them, brand-new-looking bikes. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know, where they're, you know, I know where they're going, and it's like, yep. that's not the point, right? Isn't the point to go for a ride? Uh, I think so. But some people um, go just to arrive, not the ride. They, they want to be seen um, at Sturgis. They, they don't care how they get there. And they want to bring all the comforts. It's like Burning Man. They want to bring all the comforts of home with them and not suffer right. any of the uh, discomforts. How many bikes do you have right now? Uh, I think 10. How many of them run? At least um, three. <laughs> yeah. The three, three that I, I can get on a ride right now. So, Have you been riding a oh. lot? Uh, not enough. Um, with my bum leg, I, I rode on the the uh, gentleman's ride, the old school ride on Sunday that uh, raised money for the um, murdered and missing indigenous women uh, cause. Um, that was promoted by Montgomery Distillery. We had about 50, guys, 50 riders, so it was quite nice. How many? How much did you raise, do you know? I don't. Uh, people were throwing tens and twenties into the hat, so it was pretty good. good. Yeah. I learned to ride just to be able to go for rides with Joyce, and mm-hmm. she, you know, that was what her goal was. Yeah. And mm-hmm. She was like, you know, I like boating. Uh, I'm getting better at it. If you don't like motorcycle riding, like then don't do it. You know? Right. And so we decided if she ever wants to go for some long ride and she can't find somebody to go with, I'll just follow her in the car with a big, huge cooler full of food and a tent. Yes. And she, she's, yeah, she said that that would work. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess part of the fun of riding is talking about the ride after you get to where you're going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a difference between being thrilled and being scared. Um, or terrified, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, if Jeff, you're if you're thrilled, that's great. If you're terrified, that's uh, just horrible. Yeah, it seems like if you're with that level of fear, you could make more mistakes. Yes. Yeah, it seems like um, the best time to learn to ride a motorcycle was when you're 20. Yeah. Exactly. Um, how many times would you say you've wrecked your bike? Uh, three. All of them at less than five miles an hour. What happened? <laughs> well, uh, I, uh, let's see. The first time I was on my antique Harley, um, and this was 40 years ago when the Harley was much less antique, and uh, it come... I had met a woman in the bar and was following her home on a cold November night and um, went around the corner at the near the library and hit some ice and the bike slid out from under me. And uh, 
the crest, and she stopped and says, are you all right? And I look up at her and say, yes, I'm fine. Fortunately, I threw my knee between the gas tank and the ground. Um, she looks at me like I'm crazy and then got her got back in her car and drove away. But oh, that was I had cool. managed to... Put, yeah, I had managed to protect my um, invaluable uh, gas tank from damage by wrecking my knee. Um, <clears throat> the next time I my bike quit, and uh, this was again some 40 years ago, and so I had uh, Tom Carney tow it back to my place um, in his, with his car. Unfortunately, um, I got into a wobble, and so I let go of the tow rope, and it had wound itself around. It it was wound around my handlebars. So the rope went whipping around once, and then whipping around twice, and then it caught the uh, front brake cable, and so the front end stopped abruptly, and I fell over and uh, wrecked my other knee. And uh, let's see. Yeah, the other time was a, another slow tip over like that. Uh, well, I've been fortunate not to. Yeah, yeah, with the slow tip over, it's uh, less likely that you're going to damage yourself badly. Yep. Unless you tip over slow and the, the oncoming traffic doesn't notice and they run you over. Right. Well, fortunately. Um, that has not happened yet, so yeah, and it shan't. I hope. I hope not. Is there anything I'm going to play the that same story that you liked, uh, a mission from God oh. for folks? Is okay. there anything about that story that that we haven't talked about that you want people to hear? Uh. Hmm. Well, uh, the story was obviously not perfect, but. Uh, you know, I think I got the point across. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it seems like uh, you get a lot of uh, I got drunk and did stupid things stories on the stage. But yeah. uh, that's that's the nature of uh, of adventures, I suppose. You're stepped outside your normal um, uh, uh, whatever your your normal mental or physical condition, and and stuff happens, and you deal with it. So, yeah, we're getting less of those stories. I'm trying to filter those out because unless mm-hmm. they're really really good, um, we've all heard them, and that's yeah. enough. You know, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, well, Jim, oh, that. Yeah. Oh, another point. Ahead. Um, that that um. Mission from God's story. It was a it was a turning point in my life. You know, one of those. Boy, I sure could have gotten this. Could have gone really south and could have been really bad. So I better change my behavior. So I think you get a lot of those stories. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good story. Always has some sort of transformation of the character who's mm-hmm. telling it. Right. Yeah. And so did you actually make that transformation right away or did it take some time? Well, it was fairly fairly immediate, but um of course changing uh a life half a lifetime of behavior is hard. It doesn't happen overnight unless, you know, 
unless you hear from God, tells you something differently. Yeah. Uh, so. so. What's your day look like? Uh, I am helping a friend move. This is the third woman friend I've helped move in the last two weeks. I think it's becoming uh, that I want to break. I was going to say, you need to get get your LLC or something, huh? Yeah. Well, (laughs) no, I just carry boxes and put them in my pickup truck. It's the carrying part that's quite... uh, Quite so comfortable as it used to be. So. Yeah. But, well. Yeah. But anyway, lend out your truck and let them do the carrying. Yeah. Yeah. I just need to find two or three able-bodied young men, which seem to be hard to find these days. But, yeah. All well, right. Well, you I have pre- a, a wonderful day of useful work and and uh, social eye. I hope. Yeah, I hope so. Be safe. Lift yep. your legs. Yep. 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 Appreciate you spending the time with me this morning. You bet. Always happy right. to do so. Okay. All right. right. I'll talk to Bye-bye. you later. Bye. Thanks, Jim, and thank you for listening today. Next week, I catch up with Brian Upton. One thing I'm appreciating about this conversation is that I can also set the record straight because that was that was definitely kind of traumatic for me, but really the defining aspect of that trip was getting to meet my wife's family and relatives. Tune in for his story in our conversation on the next Telesomething podcast. I am so excited to tell you that the next in-person Telesomething storytelling event will be March 30th at the WOMA. The theme is Stone Soup. Seven storytellers will share their true personal story without notes on the theme Stone Soup. We are running at 75% capacity, which allows for listeners to really spread out at the WOMA. Learn more and get your tickets at logjampresents.com. Thanks to Cash for Junkers who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at cashfordrunkersband.com. Thanks to our in-kind sponsors. Hi, it's Joyce from Joyce of Tile. If you need tile work done, give me a shout. I specialize in custom tile installations. Learn more and see some examples of my work at joyceoftile.com. Hey, this is Gabe from Gecko Designs. We're proud to sponsor Tell Us Something. Learn more at geckodesigns.com. Missoula Broadcasting Company. Learn more at missoulabroadcasting.com. Float Missoula. Learn more at floatmsla.com. And missoulaevents.net. Podcast production by me, Mark Moss. Remember to get your tickets for the next in-person Tell Us Something storytelling event live at the Wilma on March 30th. Tickets and more information at logjampresents.com. To learn more about Tell Us Something, please visit tellussomething.org.